The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Gotta say, EJ, out of all the setups we've had so far this series, I think this one might be my favorite. It's like we're at sleepaway camp. Podcast in a box, man. This is awesome. <laughs> I love it. It's pretty cool. We got bug protection. We got the most temperate summer weather you're going to find anywhere in the country. It's Literally like, anywhere in the country right now. It's like right 72 now. <laughs> degrees and breezy. It's perfect. People and in Phoenix are like yeah, they, livid. They just turned it off. <laughs> we just lost like half the folks. Uh, but this is this is a good way to start rounding out the series. We got this and one week more and feels like we're on the home stretch. Well, we're talking NFC East today, again, for the last time, finally picking a division winner, picking rookies of the year, players of the year. I mean, this was the best division in football last year, could very easily be the best division in football yet again. And when we get into the power score summary for the division, uh, it will be abundantly clear yeah. how much better they were than uh, than several of the other divisions in the NFL. Um so yeah, lot, lots to go over today with our kind of final send off for the NFC East, and then uh, and then we got one more division after this. So uh, with that, Jay, Autumn, Anthony, whoever happens to be editing this one, roll the intro. Welcome to the Bullock Football Podcast, NFC East Predictions Edition, uh, going over all four absolute powerhouses that make up the NFC Beast this year. Uh, it was a good division last year. It could very well be actually more than a good division. It was an amazing division last year. Could be an unfathomably overpowered division this year because you had three playoff teams in 2022. Uh, very nearly four playoff teams, and you could argue literally all of them got better. So I don't know where to go from here, EJ. This is the division that we have been teasing for the entire series about just you wait. <laughs> we'll bring it up. It's not the one you think it is. This was the most powerful division in football last year. Uh, Eagles at 14-3, and three, Dallas at 12-5, and five, Giants at nine and seven and commanders at eight and eight. And as we talked about it in their episode at the beginning of the week, very easily could have been a 10 win team, uh, especially if they've pivoted, pivoted to Sam Howell a little bit earlier. So, and then you look at the improvements that all these teams have made, the losses they've suffered and you kind of add it all up and I'm with you. This could again be the most powerful division in football. Obviously Philly was the winner. 
Playoff participants, as you man, as you mentioned, three of the four teams, Philly, Dallas, and the Giants, none of the teams, interestingly, had late-season surges. The best any of them did in the last five games was three and two. Um, you know why, right? I do. They started playing each other. They're <laughs> kicking the hell out of each other, which is a hallmark of this and several other divisions. Um, but the way that all works out, when we look at the power scores for these teams, Eagles were at seven, Cowboys were at eight, Giants at 16, and Commanders at 18. Uh, when you add all those up, division power score is 49. We just add those averages together. It is the number one overall division for our divisional power scores, and it is you know six points better than the next best division. They were insane. They were just completely, utterly insane, and half the division still wasn't even playing as well as they possibly could have, uh, right? Because uh, especially once you got in the playoffs, you saw like the talent differential for the Giants. Like they were maxed out. Still made the playoffs, <laughs> but they were maxed out, yeah. right? Uh, and the Commanders were really like a couple of unfortunate games away from being a 10-win team themselves, also probably making the playoffs. Uh, you know, the Cowboys won 12 games despite not even having their starting quarterback for like a third of the season. So there there was a lot of room for improvement, even for the best division of football. And that's what makes them so insane. It's like we still haven't even seen this division at the height of their capability. Like, obviously, the Eagles were, I mean, it's hard to improve on for the Eagles, right? Uh, other than winning the Super Bowl itself. But, like, as a division overall, it's just disgusting, like, the concentration of of wealth here. Every defense is good. You know, every offense uh, has a strong run game. Like, all of them are explosive. It's it's hard to find a weakness. It really is. Uh, and I really can't wait to watch them beat up each other, uh, beat up on each other this year again, because literally all of them are capable of tearing wins off the other ones. And if you look at the team power scores, uh, you know, the Eagles were fourth overall when we look at teams, and the Cowboys are fifth. So you have two yeah. teams from this division in the top five, Giants come in at 13th. That's three in the top 13 from one division. It's not a surprise that overall at the end of the year, they were the most powerful division. And thinking about what they're going to be, I mean, the Giants, that was only their first year under Brian Dable. They've, you know, and they had to take their medicine sort of salary cap wise as well. Mm -hmm. This year, they actually got to spend a little bit of money. They've retained. Oh, they spent a little bit more than a, <laughs> than a little money. Yeah, they've retained their key pieces this division has a chance to be significantly better and was already the best. Speaking of uh, spending, by the way, looking at notable veteran additions, this could be through either trade or free agency signing or, or what have you. Um, if you want full breakdowns team by team of all their veteran additions, obviously you can go to the individual team episodes. We spent significant chunks <laughs> of every episode breaking down that. But, you know, we kind of put out... Uh, a list on screen here of the top names for every single team. And we put each other on the spot every single Friday of out of all of these top veteran additions across the entire division, which is the biggest impact veteran that any of these NFC East teams have brought in? Who is your answer? I went with Brandon Cooks, which I don't think is a super obvious answer at first glance at this entire list. You might say... How can that be? I think when we get to the end of the year, when we get to the end of every year, whoever the quarterback is for Brandon Cooks, go, you know, 
there's a reason that guy gets a thousand yards every year. <laughs> He's really good. And in Dallas's case, that brings them significant balance. Everybody knows CD is the man. This isn't about Brandon Cooks being better than CD. He doesn't have to be. He has to be a really good number two and pull some coverage off CD. And he can do that. You know, veteran defensive coordinators around the league know better than to leave Brandon Cooks single covered or, you know, lazily covered because he will eat you alive quietly. He'll never get the press for it. But this gives Dallas's already serious passing offense some what I would call true balance as compared to last year that I think can take them another step further. I'm not like the biggest training camp highlights guy, but you are already seeing Brandon Cook's training camp highlights populate the Twitter timeline. Or sorry, excuse me, X timeline. We're calling it Twitter. Oh, thank God. I, I don't want We're just calling I it don't Twitter. want to switch. It it's will it's be a Twitter, dumb name. Twitter and tweets, folks. It will not be X and X's. Oh, it's not it's not sheet anymore or zeet or whatever the fuck. Uh they changed it to post is the is the action button now. It doesn't say tweet. I uh, no. Right. <laughs> no. So it would be Twitter and tweets. Deal with it. On the Twitter timeline. <laughs> you see a lot of Brandon Cook's highlights pop up every single day. Uh and it is kind of a reminder of like, oh, he's only thirty. Like he's still got gas. He still has the ability to get down the field in a hiccup, uh, you know, even though he's been in the league a long time. Like, he's still very much in his Tyler Lockett, you know, <laughs> phase of his career where leave him alone at your peril because he absolutely has the ability to climb on top of whoever your number two corner is and, and dust them. And Dak, for all his faults, does have a really nice deep ball. Now, we hope that Dak throws less picks this year. It's hard to throw more picks, but uh, he does have a really nice deep ball when he's locked in. So I do think that uh, as a number two slash vertical threat opposite CD, hard to find a better one than Brandon Cooks at this stage of his career, and especially for the money, too. You know what cracks me up about this stage of his career? What? He's 29. I thought he was 30. He might be 30. He will be 30 by the end of the season. He's 29. Hold on. Is he not even past the 30 yard or the 30? Regardless, it feels like he's 35. Son of a bitch, he is 29. <laughs> I thought he was already 30. A lot of people, if you ask him, would say like, oh, he's like 33. September 25th. Okay, he's like almost there. The wheels are coming off. He's not even 30. It feels like he's been around since, you know, Roger Staubach. He's on year 10. He's literally in year 10 because he got drafted in 2014. Mm -hmm. uh, so this, this is season number 10 and he's not even 30. Wait, did he come in the league at 19? I'm just saying. Was he one of those that I'm just was saying a puppy? it it's the most shocking number I came across in putting this entire series together was like two? No, that number can't start with a two. Are you kidding? That's insane. Yeah. That's absolutely insane. I'm like legitimately shocked by that. Yeah, it took me a minute. I I had to get up and walk around when I was typing that up. Good player though. I think that's what we're trying to say. Very good player. Uh my pick was uh for a similar reason. Darren Waller, mm. you know, giving Danny Dimes an explosive weapon, uh, which he has not had. I mean, he had Evan Ingram, who athletically could have been Should that, have. Should have, yeah. but didn't really become the Evan Ingram that we know and love until he got to Jacksonville. But, like, Darren Waller on paper is what Evan Ingram should have been for them. 
uh he's just he's just already there yep uh and and i think bringing him in and if he's healthy will be the most consistently explosive weapon that jones has had um again keyword if healthy we hope we hope we'll see uh and you know when you throw in that they have like an 11 deep receiving core behind him you know he doesn't have to do everything by himself he can just go be that seam ripper uh you know you could put him outside and, and have him post people up um you know do some big slot stuff but he doesn't have to carry the entire load of the offense he can just be that can opener that can just make a play when you need him to and then all the consistent down in down out stuff we can leave to uh you know Isaiah Hodgins Paris Campbell Darius Slate and all that but it's like if we need 30 yards and we need 30 yards right now <laughs> that's Darren Waller's job and he's going to be pretty damn good at it because he always has been yeah I hope he returns to form I think everybody including Giants fans are really hoping that we get the Darren Waller that we got a couple of seasons ago he was pushing over a thousand yards uh, easily looking extremely dynamic doing it a legitimate number two in what was a very high-powered offense and, you know, at times tickling the number one spot in that offense. And even if he doesn't hit those heights, even if he's at the top end of tight end production, eight, nine hundred yards, five, six touchdowns, it'll be a very solid investment by the Giants. Looking at notable rookie additions, uh, and again, this could be offense or defense, there were so many to pick from. And we had Jalen Carter get drafted in this division, Nolan Smith, I mean, really any. Georgia Bulldog, you could put on this list. Um, <laughs> Sidney Brown from the Eagles. Some tight ends that we really like. Deuce Vaughn, the Mighty Might, you know, one of our favorites. You know, 5'5", five, five, and just full of piss and vinegar. Love him. Shredding people. Ricky Stromberg, one of our favorite centers, got drafted in this division. Out of all these rookies, though, biggest impact year one, who you got? For me, it's John Michael Schmitz, the center drafted by the Giants. He's slated for a starting spot already. He'll probably be there for the next seven or eight years, barring injury. And with how dynamic and diverse the run game that Brian Dable brought to the Giants is, the addition of John Michael Schmitz is like a can opener there because he can do so many things so well that are going to allow Dable to just expand that already sort of crazy mini golf funhouse playbook of the run scheme to you know the end of the universe it's one of the few rookies that i don't think there was any question from the time he was drafted he's going to be starting he's going to have a huge amount of impact and he's going to be there and anchoring that line and dable's just gonna you say it all the time gonna sleep like a baby dable's gonna sleep like a baby all season with jms at center it's Creed Humphrey all over again, where when he got drafted, and I remember when Creed got drafted in the second round, we're like, did he kill somebody? Like, is there a body buried in the desert? Why did he go as late as he did? And, of course, there wasn't a valid reason. He just fell because centers fall sometimes. Sometimes. But he stepped on the field. He was immediately a top three center as a rookie and then arguably became a top one center by the end of his second year, with all respect to Jason Kelsey. Um, JMS could very easily follow in in those footsteps as well of being a top five center as a rookie because he is so physically talented he's so smart he's got an incredible anchor he can do anything as a run blocker 
Like you want him to drive people off the line of scrimmage, he can do that. You want him to pull in space, he could do that. You want him to, you know, reach block a head up two by himself, he could do that, which is a very hard thing to do, by the way. <laughs> Especially in that division with some of the some of the DTs he's going to be facing. Like that is a murderer's row of interior defensive linemen. The Giants would not be able to survive their schedule without JMS, but he is good enough to survive that schedule and all those big-time DTs he's playing against. So, like, it's Creed 2.0 to me in terms of immediate impact. I fully understand that pick. For me, though, I'm going one of his uh, new arch rivals. Yes, indeed. Mozzie Smith in Dallas for a very similar reason. Dallas defense is already great. We talked about that earlier this week. Last week? No, this week. This week. I know, time is a construct <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Um, but one one thing that I really felt they needed to upgrade was, uh, in particular for interior defensive linemen, somebody who could play either a zero, a shade, a two, a two-I, like anything basically from you know, uh, head up with the guard to head up with the center. Just an absolute war daddy in the middle. You know, their own version of DJ Reader. Because if you look at that Dallas defense, they played a lot of cover two. Uh, That was one of their comfort zones was cover two. (laughs) And if you're going to be playing that much cover two, there's inevitably going to be some scenarios where they motion somebody into the core of the formation they try to catch you in bad numbers in the box. They try to run the ball on you. Safeties are, you know, 12 to 15 yards deep. They're taking a step back at the snap. They're late to fill. Like, the math is bad. And you got to still stop the run. Because yeah. it's second and eight, and you're in cover two, and they're running, like, split zone on you out of yeah. nowhere. Mozzie Smith is going to allow them to do that to play those types of coverages Mm -hmm. and still stop the run and get to third and six rather than third and one. And that is such an invaluable piece of any great defense is the ability to make math useless. (laughs) Not to mention, like, he's a pocket pusher on third down. I think he does have high upside as a pass rusher, a la DJ Reader. But for, for Dallas to be able to put him on the field on early downs and call any coverage and still feel good about their run defense is so amazingly valuable. And it's why they drafted him so high. And I think that if nothing else, he's going to give them that flexibility as a rookie. He's the flip side of the JMS coin for Dallas. Mm -hmm. He's JMS on defense guy in the middle that has immense amounts of power set all kinds of weight room records at Michigan. You can go watch all those videos, just insane stuff from a guy of his size came out this week and said, I don't even like playing football. I just like hitting people. People got upset about that, by the way. And I'm like, why? (laughs) That's his job, folks. That's what got him drafted uh, as highly as he was. And he is custom tailored to do that, like from a physical and a mental standpoint. And it is going to allow them, already a very aggressive defensive line, to be aggressive on all downs and really count on that position in a way that they haven't. And occasionally, and this is rare for a rookie, I would say one time out of four, get a win out of that. Yeah. Even when the math is bad because Mozzie's just Mozzie. And he's going to go wreck people. 
So he's going to have some growing pains. He's going to get some ugly side double teams because coaches are going to be fed up with his crap. They're going to put him on the ground a couple times, and then you're really going to piss him off, and we're going to see what he's got, and that might be even scarier. He's a grizzly bear, man. Yeah. And I can't wait to watch him versus JMS, whatever week the Giants and and Dallas plays, because that's (laughs) – They get to do it twice, so. And that's unstoppable force meets a movable object. They are going to have – that's going to be must-see TV. You're going to see a lot of reps when – because Mozzie will be playing right in that box, and – those two locking up is going to be, I feel like it's the Godzilla meme, right? Let them fight. <laughs> when we were watching, or not watching, when we were interviewing uh, Juice Scruggs at the Shrine Bowl, who's a Penn State center, got drafted in the second round of the Texans. Um, and when we asked him, like, oh, who's the best defensive line you faced? And when he said Mozzie, which was like the first words out of his mouth, you, you catch like the little like Vietnam flashbacks, like going through his eyes of like, God, that was a day. Yeah. <laughs> like that's that's the impact that he has. It is the all day long. And the first thing we said was, mm, checks out. <laughs> yeah. Like that, you know, not surprised at all that he brought that name up because he is going to make it that kind of day for every offensive lineman he faces. You better be ready for the full four quarters to come out there and just do battle because he's not going to make it easy on you at all, ever. Looking at uh, division predictions now, which I know a lot of people just fast forward to these because they want to have a reason to yell at us. That's right. Uh, We'll start with division MVP. I went with the chalkiest possible name with Jalen Hurts for obvious reasons because he's Jalen Hurts. Uh, You know, incredibly lethal deep ball thrower, incredibly lethal with the ball in his hands as a runner, you know, turns third and ones into 100 percenters turns goal line situations into 100 percenters you know very good at at work in the intermediate middle of the field as well uh has evolved into a very complete quarterback before our very eyes and one of the best quarterbacks in the league before our very eyes i don't feel comfortable picking anybody but jalen hurts because (laughs) of where his trajectory year after year after year has gone and yet and yet you chose a different quarterback I did. I chose Dak, and I may come to regret it, but I don't think so. And if you look at where Jalen Hurts is as a player individually, which has something to do with this award, but not everything, a lot of these awards in terms of MVP is how well your team does. And I fully expect the Eagles to do better than the Cowboys this year, as well or better. I'm not predicting big regression for the Eagles, and that would lean towards picking Jalen Hurts because the quarterback of the best team gets the award. If you look at individually where Hurts is versus Dak, as far as Hurts has come, and it's a long ways, we've watched this climb, we predicted this, that he was going to improve in small bits year over year. It's all he's ever done in his entire career, and he's getting there. And last year, he really got there. If you look at where got there is individually – versus where Dak is when he plays a full season. It's kind of startling. Do the picks concern you at all? They do, but we both know that picks like sacks are fickle, and they go up and down. And if we're talking about regression from a positive mean, we can also talk about regression from a negative mean. I would expect Dak's picks to come down this year because, like you said, it's hard to throw more. Does it concern me? Yes, in big spots, for sure. 
Can he win the big one? Can Dallas win the big one? This is the question. We were joking with this about our editor, right? He's like, why did the Dallas episode take so long? It's easy. They'll get to the playoffs and fold. Done. <laughs> like, we know. It's a joke. Relax, Cowboys fans. If they get over that hump, Dak will win this award. Like, period. Big if. End of story. Biggest if, because they have not been able to do it in decades. If they get over that hump and Dak plays decently or better than he did last year and stays healthier, that's also a thing, he wins this award. The biggest thing is just cutting out the the random what-the-fuck Dak throw of the week. 100%. You know, I would say two. We'll, we'll, we'll get a couple of those. Week. We'll get a yep. couple of those every, every single week. game. And it's it's literally inexplicable. You don't know what he was looking at. He probably doesn't know what he was looking at. <laughs> He'll just chuck it up and say, ah, CD's down there somewhere. Yep. And like it always gets him into trouble. Yep. He's just got to cut those out. Because mm-hmm. the only thing that's left after he cuts those out is 4,500 yards and 35 touchdowns and, and all the good stuff that we... We know and love about him. It's just those. It reminds random. me a little bit of Josh Allen, when Josh Allen sort of goes With higher peaks, lower value, right, lower value. That that particular piece of what are you doing? Yeah, like especially um, Josh had it around the goal line. We talked about yeah, this a lot. Yeah, he would get inside the twenty, and he would just seems like once a week. And again, we've talked about how rare it is that you actually get clean red zone opportunities to score. It's four or five times a game. And once a week, he would just take one of those and just pitch it <laughs> inexplicably. He would try and extend the play too far, play hero ball, whatever it was. Sometimes ever. literally pitch the ball, <laughs> looking at the Texans game. And we were just like, if he can knock that out, superpowers unlocked. It's a very similar story for Dak. Looking at Offensive Player of the Year, we have two other NFC <laughs> East teams picked for this one. Um I thought about going Dak for this award, not going to lie. Sure. But given how important Saquon is to the Giants' offense, uh, even with the addition of Waller, even with the receiving core being fleshed out, Saquon's the engine. Like, they go as Saquon goes. Yep. And now that he's back in the fold, whether it be grudgingly or not, you know, he's getting his $11 million or whatever it is, he is going to get leaned on again uh-huh. this year. And I do think that his numbers will be outrageous again this year. Yep. So for me, knowing that this is arguably the most important player on the team and arguably the most talented player on the team and possibly the most productive player on the team and in the entire division, I got to go with Saquon. Yes, I acknowledge the injury history scares me, and I hope that he makes it through the entire year again because we love we love it when Saquon's healthy. But if he is healthy, uh, for me, I I can't pick anybody else besides him. We just talked about uh, in the rookie section how big of an unlock JMS will be, how much Dable likes to lean on this particular tool chest of a really interesting run game, and if that's the case. Saquon's going to be the beneficiary, and I I can't argue that choice, um, but I pick somebody else. I ended up picking Terry McLaurin because I'm going to lean into my commander's secret power team status here. I really think Sam Howell's going to do well. 
with the addition of Eric Bieniemy and Eric Bieniemy's offenses that he called, and you can argue that it was Andy's offense that was being called, lean on one receiver in particular. There is always one guy at the top of the pecking order, and that is without question in the commander's pecking order, Terry McLaurin. And if they hit, if Howell adapts as quickly as we hope he does, and the rest of the offense picks up the enemy's system, McLaurin is going to be the beneficiary, just like Saquon is for the Giants. And that could be 1,500 yards. That could be 1,600 yards. It could be eight or nine touchdowns. He could be leading this team every week. If that's the case, he'd be a fine pick for Offensive Player of the Year. I mean, he got almost 1,200 last year, despite everything that was going on. And that's a lot. And that's a lot yep. in that building. And we we recapped all the positive changes in our Commanders episode uh, on Monday of this week, mm-hmm. whatever that was. Or Well, yeah, we're recording this on Monday. So today, but also Monday, I don't know, again. We need that little Matthew McConaughey, time is a flat circle We're, just, we're in, like, memento right now. Yes. Like, this is a Christopher Nolan movie for football. Um, yeah, whatever, whatever day the commander's episode was. Uh, but he, again, was hyper productive despite everything that was going on, despite a quarterback situation that was not great. Um, you know, despite an offensive philosophy that we heavily disagreed with. (laughs) Yeah. Philosophy is maybe not the correct term for it. Well played. Well played. Um, Uh, so, yeah, 1,500, completely plausible for how talented Terry is. And, again, training camp highlights, not normally my thing. But <laughs> if you're watching clips of Terry just absolutely toasting Emmanuel Forbes and <laughs> mounting him on the wall, he's ready. Yeah, He's ready. Like, he is healthy. He is full speed. He is ready to go. He is Scary Terry in action. And uh, Scary Terry at the height of his powers is something to be feared yeah uh speaking of something to be feared we were consensus yeah on defensive player of the year for the nfc east micah parsons and there are so many good choices we could go with in yeah. this division hassan reddick is in this division uh Payne and allen with washington are valid choices uh big decks from the giants valid choice yep but if I'm power ranking every single defensive player in this division and I didn't put Micah at the very top, something would be seriously wrong with me. Yeah, it took me about 90 seconds on this one. I was like... Oh, that I, long? Well, I did, but I started off everywhere else. I started off with Philly's defensive line and all the wreckers there and the commander's defensive line. And I was like, and oh, and Micah, that's it. We're done. Yeah. Like <laughs> As soon as I got to Micah Parsons, I was like, Micah Parsons is truly different as a player. He stands out in an era where there are plenty of defensive superstars. Despite all the rules changes, keeping towards offense, there are plenty of really talented, explosive, disruptive defensive players in the league right now. Micah's running his own show. Yeah. he's If Micah stays healthy, it's Micah and there's no discussion. He is 255 pounds of just rage and violence. He's faster than you. He's more fluid than you. He's more explosive than you. He's got better hands than you. Super versatile. He's he's Derek Thomas. Like, truly. He's on that level. He's on that. And 
you know, we bring up these names pretty sparingly because they were are the greats of the NFL. The Derek Thomases, the Lawrence Taylors. Those are the kind of comparisons that Mike is pulling after a couple of years because he just does things that other people don't do across the full range of defensive responsibilities. He can rush the passer. He can play linebacker. He can play out in space. He can cover slot receivers and do all of it incredibly well. But we all know how important putting pressure on the quarterback is. And there might not be anybody better in the NFL of putting pressure on the quarterback right now. Maybe Miles Garrett. Maybe TJ Watt. Maybe Nick Bosa. But it's all maybes. None of them are carrying... <laughs> seam runners down down the middle of Tampa too on top of being elite pass rushers though yeah. that's what makes him different is like he can do anything yeah. and it's it's terrifying it really is uh offensive rookie of the year you and I were consensus on this one JMS uh John Michael Schmitz for all the reasons we talked about earlier mm-hmm. uh could be a top five center as a rookie uh defensive rookie of the year within the division finally have our first Jalen Carter sighting yeah, I love your pick, but I had to go with Jalen Carter because I have a feeling that Jalen Carter is going to settle the ship. <laughs> he is going to – he had such a tumultuous pre-draft process, and there were so many questions about will he reach his potential? What's the best landing spot? Is it going to work out for him? How far will he fall? There was all these questions. He ends up going to Philly, and immediately you're like, a, there's a billion Georgia players there. B, it's probably the vet, best veteran core group in the league. Oh, yeah. In terms of like, hey, Jalen, this is the way we do it. Just follow us. You know, you don't you, you have to You think Fletcher be. Cox is going to put up with any shit? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I, I, think, I don't think anybody on that defensive line is. And that what that's what makes it such a cool room for him to have dropped into and so bad for the rest of the league. Yeah. Like all that uncertainty about, Hey, is he mature enough? Is it going to, you know, is he going to be able to produce at the level we saw? Like all those questions, as soon as it was like Philly, you were like, yep, he's going to be an absolute terror. And he physically, we've talked about this. was probably the best player in the draft. I'll bet you anything at Brian Dable sent a text to Ryan Poles as soon as that trade happened. He's like, how dare you do this to me? You <laughs> jerk. How dare you gift wrap that man into my division for the next 10 years, you asshole. Yeah, now I have to deal with that. And he is going to he is gonna tear us under some of those pretty run games because that's what he does. And we've talked about the number of opportunities that any player in any position gets to truly impact a game every week quarterbacks obviously more because they have the ball in their hand every you know offensive possession but defensive players we've talked about clean pass rush um interior defensive line players how many times can they truly disrupt or get a stop really break a drive like he's gonna do it some weeks four or five times that means he hits every one of them folks you're only getting five or six opportunities as a defensive player to do that kind of thing and he'll hit four out of six and that's the power of Jalen Carter. For me, I went a uh, slightly different direction, mainly because I wasn't sure if I was ever going to get to talk about Jartavius Martin again. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going with Jartavius Martin. Safety slash nickel slash corner extraordinaire for the Washington Commanders uh, was a big part of an Illinois defense that, uh, to say their philosophy was just, uh, screw you, we're playing man coverage, is an understatement. <laughs> They were better than everybody, and they let you know it. Yep. Every single play, they just <laughs> lined up in man, 
every single play, and it worked. Straight chaos. Uh, and I think that if you look at the Washington defensive scheme under Jack Del Rio, which we broke down again earlier this week, um, with how much man coverage they would play in third, third and medium situations, um, with how, you know, because of all the too high stuff they played, uh, so how important the nickel is in terms of fitting the run, if you're playing all that quarters type stuff that they like to play, uh, Jartavius as a nickel that can play man coverage with a two-way go <laughs> and not lose, that can blitz, that can play the run. You know, if you need him to play safety, you can play safety. Like, he just he just does everything that they need their DBs to do. He's a perfect fit. He's somebody who I thought very easily could have gone in the first round. He slipped to the second. And I like them hell of, a hell of a lot better in terms of my grade on him than the DB who they actually took in the first round. So... Uh, I think he's going to be fantastic for them. I think he's going to be their own little version of Javon Holland. And I mean that as the greatest possible compliment I can give. I love that direction. I love the player. I'm glad you picked him. We talked about him a lot in the Commanders episode. I think he has every chance to be as good or better than Emmanuel Forbes, who was their first-round pick. Um, Certainly more versatile than Forbes. Um, I think he's a little bit tougher, too. I'm not questioning Ford's toughness. I'm saying I've seen it from Jartavius Martin coming, filling against the run. Um, very versatile player, and I think they'll make good use of him in Washington. That brings us to Coach of the Year. Uh, again, a lot of good choices in this division. Um, but I'm going to go with the reigning champ, Brian Dable. Uh, in terms of doing more with less, nobody in the NFL has done more with less than Brian Dable over the last 12 months. And now he's got more to work with, so he can do even more with even more. Uh, I think that this is a playoff team again because they have Brian Dable. And uh, I, 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 as far as offensive coaches go, there's very few that I would trust to get the most out of Daniel Jones over Brian Dable. He's one of the very best in the league. And um, the next two years have a real chance of actually working out for Danny Dimes just because they have Dable. Dable did a fantastic job last year. No way fans or butts. Exceeded, I think, everybody's expectations, even if they were really high. Every week we kept coming back and saying, how does he squeeze wins out of this squad? He doesn't have the guys. Didn't matter to him. Didn't matter to his coaching staff. Um, and that's really how it started with him assembling a very diverse and talented staff. And they pulled that team to every last bit of success that they had last year. This year, more of that might be powered by the Jimmys and Joes. Last year, it was the X's and O's, without question. I'm going to go with Nick Sirianni. He's shown an amazing ability to adapt year over year and to learn. Came in, a lot of people, me included, worried that he was, uh, pardon the pun, really green and wasn't maybe ready for prime time, sort of a wait and see kind of a thing. Adapted very quickly within the first year and then overcame challenges in the second year again to take that team to the Super Bowl in his second year of being a head coach. Unreal. Loses both coordinators, and I think a lot of people are going to be saying, well, they did great, but all the talent left the building. And we talked about how kind of sneaky smooth we think that transition might be because not necessarily huge losses on either side or scheme changes 
They're not, you know, importing coaches from other systems and having to start at square one. They're kind of going to be able to pick it up. And if Sirianni continues to show his ability to lead and adapt and change and stay ahead of the curve, I think he can win it again this year. He's a phenomenal coach, uh, and I'm, I'm really happy that, you know, that opening press conference that got so much attention ended up not defining him. And I, I think a lot of people jumped on him too early because of that. Maybe because they didn't have anything else to talk about with him. That was me. I had very little go on, and I was like, this is not a great start. Well, he was a largely unknown coach, right? And so, like, a, a lot of people's first introduction to him was that press conference. And I, I don't blame them for, you know, kind of being like, I don't know about this, but <laughs> for for that to end up not defining him and you know, as a young, inexperienced head coach, for him to find his footing so quickly, more than find his footing, you know, yeah. <laughs> to get to the Super Bowl. To excel. Yeah. <laughs> within a few years. Uh, it just goes to show, like, how how good of a coach he actually is and that the Eagles made the right choice. And I, I couldn't be happier for him. Um, I think he's a good dude and, and a good coach. Uh, and speaking of Nick Sirianni, that brings us finally to picking a division winner. I want to acknowledge all four of these teams are, or at least have great arguments to be playoff teams and more. Three of them probably will make it. As for which three, it's Philly and two others. I, I, I really, <laughs> I really couldn't tell you definitively what the other two are going to be. Um, but I do think that this division is going to produce three playoff teams again. And it it might come again pretty darn close to four playoff teams. So whether you pick Philly, whether you pick Dallas, whether you pick the Giants, whether you pick the Commanders, you're not really wrong to have faith in any of these four teams because yeah. all of them legitimately are playoff caliber. That being said, I'll be a dumbass not to pick Philly to win this division straight up. They're the most talented team. Again, Nick Sirianni is a great coach. They have, in my opinion, the best quarterback in the division. They were already a Super Bowl caliber roster that arguably got even better. I do think, again, everybody else in the NFC East is great, but if you pick anybody but the Eagles to win this division, you're just wrong. Sorry. Well, it's consensus for both of us. We both picked the Eagles for many of the same reasons. They're also deeper than everybody else in this division, so they're better equipped to withstand injury thanks to Howie Roseman's roster construction, which we sang the praises of endlessly during the Eagles episode. And Sirianni's a great coach. Yes, they have very steady leadership. We talked about how good their veteran leadership is outside of Jalen Hurts, who is a fine leader by himself. They are more uh, disaster-proofed than any other team in this division. I could point to two or three things for the other three teams in this division that I'd be like, that ah, would be really hard for them to overcome. I'd have to go three or four moves deep, maybe more, before I could legitimately feel like Philadelphia wouldn't perform because of whatever catastrophes I'd strung together. That's starting to stretch the story pretty thin. Philadelphia is top of the division. They look to be the top of the division again. Got great coaching staff, the best roster in the division. They're the easy choice for division winner. Overall, again, it's a great division. Hopefully we've conveyed that properly 
like how stacked they are yeah. both last year and this year. Uh, I I consider myself a fan of all four of these rosters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, if you're a Cowboys, Giants, or Commanders fan, don't jump down my throat. Like, I think you can understand the choice we made here. Uh, and we, we do think that all four teams are going to be successful. I really just can't wait to watch these division games this year because they're going to be knockdown, drag-out fights, all of them. They're going to be mostly in primetime, so we'll get to watch most of them. And uh, as far as uh, entertainment factor goes, you really can't do better than the NFC East. So uh, I'm excited. If you guys are also excited, if you're NFC East fans, you're looking for more gear, by the way, Homage is our clothing partner. I'm actually wearing an Homage hoodie right now. It's not NFC East. It's AFC East, but still. I'm wearing an, uh, an AFC East hoodie from Homage right now that is incredibly comfortable. Uh, and I I swear our life's goal is to get them to make our merch because I don't know where they source their stuff from, but it's it's unbelievably good quality, and I'm kind of mad that we can't figure out where their factories are. But, Kev, if you're watching, we're going to make that happen. <laughs> What's up? Uh, we will crack the code. They will eventually make our bootleg shirts, but uh, they have an NFL license, so they've got 20 or 30 designs for every team, including throwbacks, uh, alternate colors, hoodies, T-shirts, you name it. Use the link down in the description. Every purchase you make using that helps out the podcast. And look, you'll have some gear that you will always put on the top of your drawer. If it's there, you will grab it first and you will wash it and you will put it right back on the top of the stack because it is the most comfortable stuff that I've come across yet for for any kind of NFL gear. I'm wearing a crew neck in summer. Like that's how comfortable. That's very California of you. Hey, man, it's it's under 77. That's sweater weather for us. (laughs) It's it's chilly. There's somebody in the comments, by the way, that was like, oh, God, Brett came up here and all of a sudden it turned 80. It's uncomfortable now. And I'm like, <laughs> get over yours. 80 degrees is uncomfortable for you people. It's a PNW thing, man. We have moss on our toes. It will die. Oh, my God. You you people are spoiled up here. You know that? 100%. It's great weather, though. <laughs> Not going to lie. Uh, all right. We're going to be back next week talking AFC East. I'll get to wear this again for the Dolphins episode. Uh, we're also talking Patriots, Bills, uh, everything that's gone on with the Jets. Yes, that that, that are <laughs> green team. Uh, quite a bit. Uh, that episode's going to be a long one. And then uh, we're picking the AFC East winner. And then we are done with this series after nearly three months of grinding on it. Uh, I can't wait. Yeah, D-U-N, done. It's, I never remember how hard this is to do every single year. And every single year I trick myself into thinking like, oh, yeah, it's just if you remembered, you wouldn't do it. We'll be done by August. Yeah. No, no, we never are. So uh, anyway, we'll see you guys next week for AFC East. And until then, cheers.